Come on and give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 24. We'll begin in reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 24 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And verse 1 reads, Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and certain orator named Tertullius. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he, when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity in being brought to this nation for your, by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, do not be tedious, not, not to be tedious to you any further. I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, you yourself, you yourself may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. God, we just thank you for the very privilege that we have to worship and to adore your name in this place. God, we thank you for your presence. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you now that even as you have graced us and moved among us, that you would speak to our hearts, my God, that you would open our ears, Lord God, that you would penetrate to the depth of our soul, Lord God, that you would make us doers of your word, not hearers alone, God. We thank you for your word that is truth. May you transform us by it, my God. I ask you, dear Lord, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would be glorified in these next few moments as I share with my brothers and sisters the greatness of who you are. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As a way of reminder, as we continue through the book of Acts and we look at the historical things that are going on here, I would like to remind you, and I try to do this at least once a week, as we look at this, it is important for us that we don't get caught up, or, or should I say lost, in the history of the events that are taking place, but that we keep in mind that each of us is always on trial for our own faith. Amen? When we look at the life of Paul, we find here toward the latter part that Paul is going through some things. He's being tried because he is radically devoted to Jesus. And every time that he comes into a place and he begins to preach the gospel, he finds himself being confronted by people who hate, who hate the gospel, don't want to hear the gospel, and don't want him to continue. And so they're doing their best to stop him. And so for those of you that may be with us today for the first time, that's why we're at in the book of Acts chapter 24. And we've already seen all the things that Paul has done. We saw him get arrested. He was being beaten. He got arrested, got saved from being beaten, and then he was tried one time. The Jews decided that they were going to start a, or, or they, they decided that they were going to try to kill Paul. Some people took a vow that they would not eat or drink until Paul was dead. And so 
With all of that happening, what happens is we come here to this point where Paul has been transferred to this other person. And so when he, when he comes there and he begins to, he, he's, he's, he's on this trial in front of Felix. But we can get lost in that and think, okay, that's great, but how does that apply to my life? And the reason why it's important for us is because as Christians, as we live day by day, and if you have the outlines, you can follow along with some of this in the introduction at, at, at any rate. Each of our lives is always on, on trial. Our faith is always on trial. The Bible talks about angels watching us, and we know that the world is watching us. Anybody who has ever witnessed or tried to share with someone who is a non-believer, you know that they're paying attention to you. Amen? You know they're watching everything you do because they're waiting for you to fall just like that other guy did. Are you here? Our, tr- our faith is always on trial. And with that, we look at the life of Paul and we can be encouraged and we can internalize the scriptures and say, this is how I would apply this to my life. And so as the world and angels watch us living our lives day to day, interacting with others, dealing with problems and stress or with victories and accomplishments. And let me pause there for a moment because a lot of times we think that the only time that our faith is on trial is when we're going through hardship. Are you hearing me? We think that the only time that our faith is being tried or being tested is when things are difficult in our life. But I want to let you know that good stuff can test us just as much as bad stuff. Success can test us just as much as bad stuff because if we're not blessing and glorifying and honoring God in the midst of the good times, equally as, as when things are going rough, there's an issue. Hello. See, this morning what I want to talk about is gospel-centered worship. And as believers, what we have to realize is that that is what is always on display. It is what we worship, who we worship. And Paul here, when he begins to rebut, what he's going to talk about is his worship. And so for us as believers, our worship must be centered in the gospel. It must be focused upon Jesus, and it must be rooted in his finished work on the cross for us. If we're going to be able to grow and as our life, and that does not mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we are never going to fall short. That is not what that means. What it means is that when my life is centered on Jesus, when my life is centered on the gospel, then what happens is even when I'm going through difficulty, I'm able to come back to this realization that Jesus is all that he says that he is. When things are good in my life, I'm able to come back to that realization that as good as everything is, God is still greater. And so if my life is centered on the gospel, then I can have a gospel-centered way of worship. How gospel-centered our worship is, is revealed in the extremes of our life, good or bad. I'll say that again and then we'll move on. How gospel-centered our worship is, is revealed in the extremes of life, whether good or bad. When we go through those good times and, 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 we're, and we're seeing everything the way that we want it to or that we think that it should be happening, job is good, family's good, nobody's sick, everything is wonderful. When we're going through those moments, our, how centered is, is our worship on Jesus? How passionate are we for him? Because what we'll find many times is that many people will come to Jesus passionately and devoted with all of their heart when things are difficult. But when things are good, it's different. When things are good, they're not as desperate. When things are good, oh, they can hit the snooze button and not get up to pray today. Y'all ain't hearing me. But when you're going through hardship, listen, you can't even make it to the snooze button. Hello. You can't even make it to the alarm clock going off because you're burdened, you're broken. Things are going on. You're waking up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because you got stuff on your mind and stuff on your heart. And then what happens is you're crying out to God and you're so holy and so devoted. But even in that, are you really centered on the gospel or are you centered on your problem? See, because sometimes it looks like I'm centered on the gospel, but really I'm just centered on my problem. I'm just calling on Jesus in the midst of it. But our worship has to be gospel-centered. So the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, gospel-centered worship worship. 
must be firmly rooted in your identity in Christ. What we see here in verses 1 through 9 is what we find is the, is the, the Jewish people who are coming and they're part of this trial. And they are falsely accusing Paul of some things. They accuse him of being a ringleader of a sect. They accuse him of being a troublemaker. They accuse him of all of these different things. They call him a plague. They try him. And what they do is when they accuse him falsely, what what happens is when we get falsely accused. See, when I'm trying to live my life for Jesus and people start falsely accusing me, you don't want to know what begins to happen. What happens to many of us is that we begin to question, am I doing things right? And we begin to question ourselves, am I really serving faithfully? Am I really, you know, what am I doing wrong? And what the enemy is, see, the reason why this happens is the enemy wants us to question our identity. The enemy wants us to question who we are. That's, see, when you, when you oh my goodness, when you, when you look at the way that we get this negative report, you know, you can't, listen, go, go on ahead and now in our day, hello, now, now I'm talking about today, go in our day and go and get involved in one of those politically hot conversations, hello. I'm just saying, and you go on ahead and you take a biblical stance on some stuff. And you watch and see how quickly you're falsely accused of being this. I ain't going to say all the things they accuse you of, but you know what I'm saying. They accuse you of being this and you're that. And and, and all of these different things come out. Why is that? Is it because you're wrong? Is that the reason? Is it because the Bible's wrong? Is it because the scriptures are outdated? Maybe it's that God changed his mind. I'm just saying. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, we look like the bad guys. Hello. Hello. I talked to, talk to you about Pastor Jefferson when, when this whole marriage amendment deal was voted on. And I told you that he was on an interview, and when he was on this interview, he stuck to the scriptures. And he said, listen, God has not changed his mind when he deals with the topic of marriage and so on and so forth. Went the interview, and there was another guy that he was a total liberal. And when Dr. Jeffers was saying everything that he was because he was going back to the Bible, he was going back to the scriptures, he was giving the answers that were important to be given at that moment. He wasn't buckling. At the end of the interview, the other guy says, well, you know what? That the God you're talking about is not my God. Okay, so he made his own God. That's what he did. He's not talking about the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible has not changed his mind on any topic. He has made it crystal clear. The Bible is what we call canonized, meaning that there is no adding to it or taking away from it. God has spoken clearly what he means, what he wants, what he wills in every situation. Hello. Not just marriage in all things. Not, he, he makes his mind clear to us. He lets us know. But what happens is when you and I decide that we are going to be staunch, dogmatic about the scriptures, and what I mean by dogmatic, I don't mean we're putting our tradition in it because when you look at dogma, dogma is talking about the teaching of men. That's not what I'm meaning. I'm meaning passionate. And when I internalize and decide that I am going to live out the scriptures, false accusations will come. And if you look at your Bible in the book of Matthew chapter 5, you'll find there when Jesus is speaking, he talks about how blessed we are. When they falsely accuse us, when they speak evil of us, he talks about it in Matthew chapter 24. He talks about nations hating us. And so false accusations are going to come against our life. This is something that is going to happen. But the question is, am I firmly rooted in the gospel so that way my identity is not shaken? The Jewish people that were here, when they come and they're, and, and they're talking about Paul, they say this stuff. They say they found him in the temple. And that's where they found him. They found him. He was going to the temple. They didn't let him get in there. They took him out, and they were, they were trying to kill him because they thought that he had brought a, a Gentile into the holy place, which he didn't even do. He was in there fulfilling a vow. Notice what he was doing, because I want you to think about this stuff for a moment, because when we talk about worship, these are important things. The Jewish people falsely accused Paul um, 
And, and, and they were worshiping, they who falsely accused him, they were worshiping based on their traditions. Hear what I'm saying? They were worshiping God based on their traditions. And if you go back to the Gospels, you will see that Jesus constantly, continually rebuked these same people about what? Them holding, holding hardcore onto their traditions rather than embracing what the Word of God taught. See, what happens is they, were, they, 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 they had these idols, and it was funny because early this morning in prayer, two of the people that were praying, they were praying against idols in our heart, glory to God. Praying for us, God, deal with the idols in our heart. Because what happens is we end up having these idols in our heart. We end up having these things that are hindering us from really entering into worship. Some of those idols, it could be style of worship, hello. Style of music. I, I, I can, I can t- I'm, I'll, I'll give you a real good testimony. When I was a, when I was a younger man, because I'm still young, amen? <laughs> when I was a younger man, when I first came to Jesus, I was Mr. Hip Hop. Hello, somebody. Right? I could, and listen, if you are Caucasian in here, I do not mean to offend you, okay, what I'm about to say. But I could not stand like Z88.3 type music. Oh, my goodness. I probably didn't start listening to Z88.3 until like five years ago. But hear what I'm saying. All right? It was because I didn't like a style. And so when I went, I remember one time going into a conference, into this conference, it was straight rock and roll worship. And I was like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to worship Jesus? I'm, I'm, I'm letting you all know the truth. I, when I got in there, I could not get past the music for the first day. By the second day, God had liberated me. By the second day, I realized they were worshiping the same God, just a different style. But you know what happens to us? We get stuck in our tradition. And it's like, that's the only way you can worship God. So you can't worship God with salsa. I'm just saying. You can't, you can't worship God with reggae, right? No, no, can't do it. You can't do it. If, if it's not a hymnal, see, some people, that's where they're at. I'm just saying. Maybe none of y'all in here, but there's some people. And some of y'all might be hiding. Hello, you're undercover. <laughs> You're like, when are they going to break out a hymnal talking about we want more? I want a hymnal. They don't want more. They want a hymnal, and then we'll have more. They're like, you want more? Get a hymnal. Glory to God. I'm just saying. So what happens is some folks, they, 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 they want to go back to the way that things were done. They, they have these idols in their life. It's the same thing with the Jews. Nothing is new. Amen? Sometimes we have these idols in our life. There's a certain way that we worship, and that's what their problem was. See, because when you look at the, the, the totality of everything that was there, Jesus had rebuked them about, about worshiping the way that they wanted to worship rather than the way that they were supposed to worship. And because of that, they missed Jesus. Hello. You think it's important not to miss Jesus in worship? I would say yes, because that's what it's all about him. And so when you're missing him in worship because you're so focused on other stuff, there's a problem. Paul, on the other hand, he was worshiping according to what? The scriptures. He was worshiping according to what the word of God was teaching. And I want you to notice something. Paul came to the same place to worship the same God based upon the same scriptures, yet he worshiped God from a place of redemption. Notice, they were in the same building, same place, worshiping the same. When we we read Paul's words in a moment, you'll see exactly what I'm saying. He came to the same place to worship God, but the problem was he was worshiping from a place of redemption. They were worshiping from a different place. They were trying to find redemption. Paul was like, I've already been redeemed. 
I've already been redeemed. I've already been set free. And so here's what I'm going to say to you about those who criticize us and falsely accuse us. And I don't know where I heard this first, so I can't give anybody credit for it in particular. I just want to let you know it didn't come to me. Hello. Wasn't like I was in prayer and this dropped in my spirit. I heard it somewhere. I heard it a few times. So I'm just going to let you know that. But this is the thing here. We must fight. This isn't a quote yet, but it's coming. (laughs) We We must fight for our identity in Jesus. Amen? We must fight. When when it's talking about fighting the good fight of faith, that's what it's talking about. When it's talking about running this race, that is what it's talking about. Fighting to continue on in the faith, maintaining our identity in Jesus. This is important. But what we have to understand is that when those critics come, we have to allow, this is the quote right here, we have to allow those critics to become our coaches without allowing them to question our identity. In other words, listen to all the negative stuff they got to say. And see if there is any truth in what they're saying. And if there's truth, repent. Let God make you. But if there is no truth, then you ignore it. But don't take it personal. Hello, somebody. Don't take it, you know, because that's what happens. I I can talk about me because I I take everything personal. I'm I'm a sensitive dude like that. Some of y'all may never know that, but you'll know now. I'm sensitive. You know, y'all, Bishop, we never see you cry. You probably won't, but here's the thing. I'm sent in my heart of hearts. I'm sensitive, and 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 what happens is I can take stuff real personal. But you know what I got to realize, and this is what I always try to preach to myself, try to preach to you. It is not about us. It is about Jesus. And the ultimate question we have to ask ourselves is, does my life reflect Him? And the way that I can answer that question is when I look at where my worship is at. Repeat the second thing with me. Our witness must come out of our worship. Our witness must come out of our worship. Let's read from verse ten to verse twenty-one. It says this, it says, then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. That's the reason why the title of the message is Gospel-Centered Worship. Because Paul's response is about what he was doing. He was simply living out his worship. He was simply being what God had created him as a a new creation in Christ, and he was worshiping from that place. And so he tells them, it has only been 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, neither in the synagogue or in the city. And so he's saying, look, what they're saying about me that I'm making all these stuff happen, I wasn't doing any of that. Verse 13 says, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. It says, but this I confess to you. So you need to underline this one, right, highlight, whatever. That according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And so what does he say? He's saying, listen, I came to the same temple to worship the same God based on the same scriptures. And what he's saying is, if they would simply open their Bibles and open their hearts and open their minds before the living God, they would get the revelation that they have the option and the opportunity to experience the same redemption that I've experienced and worship with a freedom that I can worship with. But if they will not open up their Bibles, they will remain closed-minded, false accusers, and never experience the deliverance that there is in Jesus. And for some of us, it's the same thing. If we would just open our Bibles and let God speak to our heart, the problem for some of us is that we open our mind to everything except God. 
We're open-minded to everyone. We're open-minded to every idea. We're open-minded to all kind of stuff except the one thing that we need to be open to, and that is Almighty God transforming and changing our lives. Because that's what God wants to do, to give us continual transformation and continual revelation of who he is. He says in verse 14, he says, I have hope in God. In 15, I'm sorry. I have a hope in God, which they themselves also accept. In other words, they know about this hope. That there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And so what he's saying is like, look, I worship according to the word of God. I have a hope that is in the scriptures. And on top of that, I consider God primary and I consider my fellow man as important. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to dishonor them. This is what he's saying. This is what he's communicating. He's saying, I'm doing my best to live with a clear conscience. You know, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It says in verse, in, in verse 17, he said, Now after many days, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. Now notice, all he's doing is talking about how he was going about worship. So how is he doing this? Two things there. The first one is he's bringing alms, which are things for those who have need, you know, like a special offering, stuff like that. He's coming to do something good for the poor. So he's doing what God says to do. So he's bringing those. But he's also bringing these other things, not, not, not just the alms, but also offerings. Because when we're giving, right, it's, he, he puts them both together as one thing. But when we're giving to the poor or we're helping the needy, didn't Jesus say something like, when you've done this to the least of these, you've done this for me? He said something like that, right? And so what he's saying is that when we make sacrificial giving and things of that nature happen, it is not just about the monetary value, but it's about the worship that our God is receiving from what we're giving. And so he returns to his nation to give alms and offerings for his nation, and verse 18 says, In the midst of which some of the Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you today. Our witness must come out of our worship. So Paul doesn't go and get, you know, his best three-point message to give his exhortation. What he does when he explains himself to defend himself, he simply says, this is what I'm doing. And this is where everything is coming from. Everything that I'm doing is coming out of my worship. And here's the thing. I love this quote. I can't tell you where I heard this one either, but it's in another amazing quote. Every one of us worships. The question is not, do we worship? The question is, what do we worship? Every one of us worships something. Every one of us. And you know what? For us that are Christians and that are believers, sometimes our worship it gets stressed between other things and God. And that's just a reality that we struggle with. That's the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the ability to repent when I recognize that I am focusing more time and more energy on something other than what I should be, which is focusing on my God. Which is focused on glorifying him. Which is making sure, as we're going through the parenting class, and one of the things that we're teaching, where we're teaching the parents and learning as parents, is that the most important thing for us to teach our children and to instill within them is that the biggest and most important thing for them is to glorify and honor God in everything. It's not about them being super intellectual. It's not about them being super talented. It's not about them having great grades. All of that will come out of what? Worship. 
See, if we would get this concept down in our spirit, God created us to worship. And when our worship is focused on the right thing, that's why he says to us not to worry about what we will eat or what we will drink. That's what he says, right? He says, because if you seek first my kingdom, he said what? He said, all things will be added unto you. Because out of the worship of our heart, out of the worship of his name, out of us glorifying him, every single thing that we need that is within his will and his purpose for us will be added to us. That's what happens. And you know what also happens there is that we find what real contentment is when we are really seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so if that's a lesson for our children, shouldn't it be a lesson for us as adults? Amen. That we be reminded constantly that the most important thing is that we give glory, that we give honor, and that we exalt the name of our God. A gospel-centered life is rooted in the gospel. We know what the gospel is. The gospel is the greatness, the holiness, and the goodness of God. The gospel starts with God and his wonder and who he is, how magnificent he is, how he created everything from nothing, how he has from eternity past pre-planned and predestined our redemption. Is that not awesome? Well, y'all ain't saying nothing. I guess only awesome for a couple of people. Is that not awesome? That from eternity past, he had us in mind. Before we we were even a thought, before our parents could have a thought, hello. Hello. Before any of that ever happened, he had us in mind, in his plans, in his purposes, his greatness. But then there's this other problem in the gospel, and it is this, is that while God is good and he is great and he is merciful, while he is all of those things, we rebel against him. It wasn't just Adam and Eve, because I know a lot of people want to lay hands on Eve when they go to heaven. Hello. I'm asking some words for Eve. Listen, with or without Eve, you would still rebel against God. Straight up. It could, have been, it could have been 10 families later. Someone was going to rebel against God. That's just the bottom line. And so it isn't just Eve because you know what? You can go ahead and decide you're not going to rebel against him, right? No, you can't. Hello. You have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. And so what happens is this good, this gracious and glorious God, we're separated from him. We're separated from him because of what? Because of our sin. And so our sin tells us what? This is the gospel. This is what roots us in Christ. We are separated from him because of our sin. And because of that separation, if we do not repent and put our faith in him, then we will be separated from him for all of eternity. And it's not just like you're standing across the block from him. You are suffering in the pits of hell for all of eternity if you don't bow to him. If you don't know Jesus today, that is where you are destined. And if you died right now, that is where you would go. And that is a sad thing. But here's the beauty of this, is that not only is God good, not only is he gracious, not only are we sinners and rebels against him, but he came into this earth and died in our place. He came into this earth and said, you know what, none of these people will ever be perfect enough to make the sacrifice that is going to satisfy my holiness. And so God enters into, in, 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 into human history and the form of a man, lives a perfect life, dies in our place so we can do what? So we can put our faith and our trust in him, not ourselves. So we can put our faith and trust in him. And we can know for sure that if I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and I turn away from my sin, then guess what? I don't have to worry about being separated from him for all of eternity because I'm guaranteed to be connected with him for all of eternity. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what God does, and that is what our, that's what a gospel-centered life is rooted in. And so what happens is this, and we've talked about this before as well. When you are rooted and centered and your life is centered around the gospel, it produces a gospel-centered worship. 
Because when I understand what God has done, you know what that produces in me? It produces gratefulness. It produces thankfulness for what he's done. It produces a glorifying of his name. And so I have a gospel-centered worship, not a worship that is based on my goodness because I understand that I am not good apart from him. Hello. I understand that he is the only one that is good. And so I begin to worship from that place. And then what happens is because I have this identity, God doesn't just call me into a relationship with him. He calls me into a gospel-centered community. Hello. He calls me into community with other people. He calls me. He doesn't call me to just be Mr. Joe Christian all by myself on my little island. Hello. Because that's how some of us think. Well, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm not too sure about his people. I'm just saying. And we feel like that's okay. You, I'm, I'm sure you've had conversations, and if you haven't, you will. Have conversations with people that are like, yeah, I'm okay with God, but I just don't like his people. I, I don't go to church because, you know, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Okay. We're all hypocrites, every one of us. And you know what? If it was not for the grace of God, hello, where would we be? But the truth of the matter is he calls us into this worship that is based on who he is. He calls us into community that is based on who he is. And he also sends us out into mission based on who he is. Now, hear me. When our worship is not rooted, if you're taking notes, please write this down. When our worship is not rooted in the gospel, we fall into two categories in general. And one of them is the earners, the other one is the earned. You hear what I said? Two categories. When our worship is not rooted in the gospel, we generally fall into two categories, the earners or the earned. Let me help you understand what I mean by this. We have one category is the one that's the earners. And you're the one that you feel like, man, you always have to do something to please God because he's always mad at you. You're always paying, some of you is going to describe you, you're always paying for some kind of sin. You hear me? If you're not that person, I'm sure you know them. Something is going on in their life, they're experiencing something because of something they did. Does that sound like they know the gospel? Because I thought the gospel dealt with all my sin. I'm, I'm a firm believer. We experience, you know, I love, my, my, my dad always says, you know, you can't pray for crop failure. I believe that. Hello? But what I'm saying is, all your life, you're paying for sins. I thought Jesus already paid for those sins. So you feel, you, 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 you're, you're that earner, so you start to feel like, man, you know, if I'm right, if I'm doing things right, you know, if I'm doing things okay, if I'm praying, if I'm in my Bible, if I'm not looking at what I shouldn't be, if I'm not doing what I shouldn't be doing, then you know what, then I can get up in church and I can raise my hands and worship because I'm okay with God. And then that brings you to the other category, which is the earned See, there's the earners over there, but then there's the ones that have earned. You're, you're the one that you all right. You read your Bible. You pray. You are just holy, holy, holy. You're right up there. You're the fourth person in the Trinity. All right? I mean, you got it together. You know, you got your eyes on lock. You got your mind on lock. You got memory verses running through. I mean, you are just holy. And so you feel like you're cool with God because of how holy you are. Does that sound like gospel-centered worship? Do you think that any of your holiness impresses God? Do you think that any of your memory verses impress God? He wrote the Bible. Hello. I'm just saying. Do you think that any of your sacrifices impress God? Seriously. Because that's our problem. We are either earners or we are in earned. But... 
Someone who is gospel-centered, here's what you should be. You should be a grateful respondent. See, a person who recognizes, man, I can't earn this. Jesus died in my place. He suffered for me, for all of my sin. And so I am grateful, and I don't respond to him. And see, my response to him is where worship really is. That's where Paul was. His response to God, he was bound by the revelation of what Jesus had done for him. He was bound by the revelation of what Jesus had done in his place. And so he was overwhelmed by that. And so everything that he did came out of that worship. Everything he did. And that is, that is what's supposed to happen to our lives. Church, we are not supposed to go through the motions. Hello. We're not, listen, we're not just supposed to be good husbands or good wives or good children or good parents or good employees or good employers. We're, no, no. We are supposed to be worshipers who are all of those things out of our worship for God. That's what is supposed to happen. That is what worship is supposed to be. And that way our motivation never stops. See, I will continue to be a good husband despite, and I have an amazing wife, so this is no, this is no way I'm trying to say anything to her. I will continue to be an amazing husband even if she's not an amazing wife because I don't do it just because of how amazing she is. I do it because of how amazing he is. It becomes the same thing for our children. It becomes the same thing for me as a person who is an employee. What happens is I'm not a great employee because of the fat paycheck that I get. I am a great employee because I do all things, everything that I do for the glory and the honor of Jesus, even when I'm mistreated, even when I'm dishonored, because all that I do is rooted in the gospel. See, but when things are rooted in other things, I start, I start trying to find a way. Well, I need to find a way out of this. Whether it's a job, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a church, hello, I said that, yes. Whether it's a job, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a church, we try to find our way out. When we lose focus on the gospel, what we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be those grateful respondents. When our worship is rooted in the scriptures, what happens is our message will be rooted in the scriptures, for the scriptures will be our meditation. And I say this to close this point, as we consistently meditate upon the implications of the gospel, the things that I just went over, and those are in a nutshell what I'm saying, but as you continually meditate on the word of God, that's why the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what the Bible says for us. And what's supposed to happen is I'm supposed to consistently meditate on the word of God. I'm supposed to consistently be in the scriptures, allowing the word of God to renew my mind to renew the way that I think and when those things happen everything that I just talked about begins to happen what begins to occur inside of me is that my what, what, what my, my identity begins to be strengthened in Jesus because of what because I've been in the scriptures and as I'm in there he is washing me with the water of his word as I have been in there he is filling me with fresh revelation and fresh hope as we were praying this morning I think it was this morning. I don't know if it was here or at home. I, 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 I was up real late last night, so I'm not totally sure what happened. Glory to God. But uh, it, may, it was at some point before I got here today, as I, was, as I was praying and I was asking God, I was saying, God, let the gospel become deeper for us. 
And, and, and as, I, as I was praying, it was like a sense. It's not about us having this deeper revelation of the gospel. It's about us having a deeper revelation of the gospel. It's about the gospel penetrating deeper into our hearts. It's about us looking at the word of God and those same things that we just skim over and that are truths that we know, that as we look at them, that those things begin to grip the internal parts of our being and we become overwhelmed. That's what needs to happen for us. But that only happens with time with Jesus. That only happens with us spending time in his presence. That only happens with us spending time getting to know him and getting more deeply involved with him in relationship by meditating in the scriptures. And so our identity becomes strengthened. Our worship deepens because we begin to understand how glorious and wonderful he is. And that takes our worship to another level. Our community with others becomes richer because we begin to appreciate not only our personal redemption but the redemption of others. We begin to look at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul is talking about gifts and how, you know, one part of the body says to the other part, I don't need you. We have a different mindset because we recognize I do need you. We recognize I do need you in my life. I can't just live how I want to live. Our identity is strengthened. Our worship is deepened. Community becomes richer. And our mission becomes more natural and more consistent. I want to yell that one out. Our mission becomes more natural and more consistent. Why is it so hard to share the gospel with people? Why is it so hard? Oh, because they're going to reject you. Listen, do you think Paul was rejected? Hello, he's incarcerated, glory to God. I think he was rejected. These people were, were planning to kill. Nobody, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe this is happening to you, but I don't think anybody in this building has people that have decided they're not going to eat and drink until you're dead. I'm just saying. If that's you, let me know. We'll pray for you. Hello. But I don't think most people are in that type of scenario. The worst that's going to happen to us is someone may make a joke. Someone may mock us and say, man, I don't believe that stuff. You believe that stuff? It's like I was looking on Facebook the other day, and somebody was writing, you know, if people, they, they have some dumb, I don't know, some article about some weight loss product, and I, I just like looking at comments that people make. And so one, one fool, and I'm going to say he's a fool, because he writes down there, he's like, well, if people are stupid, let me tell you how he spelled stupid, S-T-O-O-P-E-D. <laughs> people are so stupid, they believe in God, they'll believe in this. I wanted to put on there, dude, if you're going to, you know, say something stupid, at least spell it right. Hello. I'm just saying, and you know, anyway, I'm, I'm just, just spell check, dude. I mean, that was crazy. <laughs> Glory to God. I need to stay on Facebook. But anyway, um, but here's, we, we <laughs> our mission, our mission becomes more natural. What happens to us is that we, as we spend time with him, you cannot help. You become like Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah said? He's like, I'm not going to preach no more. I'm not saying anything else about you, God. These people don't want to hear. I'm tired of being abused. It's a wrap. And you know what he said a couple chapters later? He's like, if I try to keep my mouth shut, his word is like fire shut up in my bones. In other words, if I try to shut up, I can't. That's the place that we need to ask God to bring us to, that you can't be quiet, that you can't not tell someone about Jesus. Hello. Glory to God. Say this third thing with me, please. Gospel-centered worship will keep us from compromising for comfort. Let's read verses 22 to 27. It says, when Felix heard these things, 
having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away from me. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. That is the equivalent to our day. There's a day that I'll get saved, but it's not today. That's what he said. The Bible says, homie was afraid. He was fearful. He was shaking when Paul shared the gospel with him. Let me tell you something. When you really talk to someone, now, now he, he, was, he was straight up. He was like, I'm going to tell you about this righteousness. I'm going to tell you about the judgment that is to come. I'm going to tell you about self-control. I want you to think about the content of that message. Those three points right there are amazing. When he deals with righteousness, he's dealing with all of Felix's yesterday. He's saying, look, he said, if you look at all of your life up until this point, you can see God is righteous, you are not. If you look at your life, you can see how short you fall. When you really understand God's righteousness and his standards and his holiness, you begin to realize, I am not holy the way that God is. And then so then the next question is, what am I going to do about that? And he talks to him about self-control. And so what does self-control deal with? Well, what am I going to do? How am I going to be righteous? It's only going to be through self-control. How am I going to control myself when I have a sinful nature that desires sin? Well, the only way you're going to do that is by the first thing in the whole commentary, which he talked to them about the faith in Jesus. When I put my faith in Jesus, I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To walk in self-control. But if I choose to continue to walk in my unrighteousness by not being self-controlled by the power of the Spirit of God, guess what I have to look forward to? Judgment. That's pretty scary. See, and, and, and Paul, I, he, he knew a lot, and so he explained it pretty thoroughly to the man to the degree that he was afraid. And instead of him responding in faith, he said, man, go away. He said, I don't want to hear anymore. He was more concerned, see, because in those times, it's just like our days, but in those days, you know, a reputation was really important. And when you were in a position that was like that, in a political position, you couldn't flinch when people were giving testimony. You couldn't act like something scared you or something bothered you. And so he knew what was going on inside of him. And the only way that he was going to be able to contain the fear that was gripping his heart was by him saying, go away, and when I have a convenient time, I'll hear you again. He goes on to say this in verse 26. It says, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given to him by Paul that he might release him. Now, isn't that amazing? Paul is offering him freedom, but he wants, he wants Paul to pay him for freedom. That's crazy. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Perseus Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. And so this third point was this. Gospel-centered worship will keep us from compromising for comfort. And here's the reality, and I'm getting ready to close in a moment. In our culture, comfort is everything. And sadly, this mindset has infiltrated the church. While we are called to be sacrificial, we are striving for comfort. Now think about this. From the way that we choose churches to the way that we choose furniture, it is usually about comfort and our needs. Now listen, when you choose furniture, I'm not telling you you'll get a nail bed. Hello. 
That's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to go get a couch that's like wood. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Pick your furniture. Make it real comfortable, especially if you're going to invite me over. No, I'm joking. <laughs> if you're going to have, you know, furniture, I don't, that, but when it comes to other things in life, we look at everything. Imagine, now, 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 now listen, people walk into churches all the time. Do you think the first thing in their mind is, how can I serve in that church? What do you think the first thing in their mind is? Let's see what that church has to offer me. And when I go through the vision carrier class, right, what I, what I tell everyone, I'm like, listen, don't think about what we can do for you. Think about what you can do for the body. And where you see a void, know that God has gifted you to fill a void. See, if we had that mindset, things would be so different. But the truth of the matter is, we go and we want to see how we can be served. It's the same thing in our marriages. Hello? I'm just saying. <laughs> Nobody was like, hey, man, I want to see what I can do for someone. Hello. That's the one I'm going to marry, the one that's going to be a project for the rest of my life. <laughs> I guarantee you anybody who was putting a list together for the one they wanted to marry, it wasn't like, well, they need to have this problem, this problem, this problem, because I want to fix all of those issues. <laughs> Nobody asked for that. Hello. Everybody was looking for, you know, Mr. GQ, had it all together, had a good job, all that good stuff. He was looking for Miss Curves and all that. Hello, somebody. I know what I was looking for. I don't know about y'all. I know y'all are holy and everything, but I'm just saying. I want her to be holy and curvy. Amen. I I wanted the total package, glory to God. I can tell you that. She had to be holy, and I got got the total package, glory to Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm closing right now. but <laughs> Listen, we're supposed to be sacrificial. But the truth of the matter is that we have given into this idea. I want you to put yourself in Paul's place. You know what Paul had to do? All he had to do in order for him to get out? Just give the guy some money. He had, he, he had, he had freedom. This dude was like, let his friends come. When his friends came, all Paul had to do was say, listen, y'all, next time you come, bring some money, and we're going to get out of this place. He could have done that and been free. What would you have done? <laughs> Amen. See, she's honest. That's what, that, that's what almost any of us would have done. I'm tired of being locked up. I'm tired of not being free. And I, I, I'm trying to defend myself. This guy brings me for himself all the time. For two years, Paul was there. For two years, he was there. And all he had to do was bond out. And he said, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because of what? Because of the gospel mission that gripped his heart. Because he was there with a purpose. He was there to be a witness. He was there to be the light that shined. And here's the bottom line for us. We must never accept comfort in our lives if it will get us out of the will of God for us to be his witnesses. Do you hear what I just said? We must never, never accept. I don't care what it is. It can be a position at work. It can be a promotion somewhere. It can be, listen, it can be the easy way out. If you need to be very prayerful and consider, God, if I take this position of comfort, will this get me out of your will? Will this keep me from being your witness? Will this keep me from being able to testify of your goodness to other people? Because if the answer is yes, no matter how comfortable it may be, you should say no for the glory and the honor of Jesus. Amen? Stand to your feet, please. Here is my closing question for you. 
And you're going to talk about all this stuff and connect. So is your worship gospel-centered? That's the question. Is your worship gospel-centered? Are you really, really worshiping him for who he is? Is Jesus really first in everything? Does your life really revolve around him? These are important questions because if you say no to these things, then you have an idolatry problem. And God shares his glory with no one. Are you here? And so it's important for us to really check our hearts and say, God, what do you say to that question? I don't want you to think about yourself. Don't justify yourself because we always, you know, we have the tendency to justify ourselves. You know, we, we judge ourselves based on our motives or, you know, our intentions instead of our actions. Well, I intended to pray, so that means I'm good. No. Did you pray? I intended to do this. I intended to do that. You have all these good intentions. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you are those things. Hello. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Let me, let, let me pray. Father, I lift up this body of people in this place. Father, some are believers in you. Some have put their faith in you, God. Some of them are struggling, Lord Jesus, to keep you center in their life. I just pray for them right now, my God, that you would draw their hearts back to you in in, in their first love for you. God, that you would become center, that you would become the most important thing in their lives, God. Father, I pray for those of us that struggle between our idols and you, God, that we would repent of idolatry, God. That we would recognize when other things take center stage in our life and that we would humbly submit before you and repent of our sin, God. Father, I pray for those in this place that you are not the center of their life, that they do not know you, they do not walk with you. God, I pray that even as you gripped Felix's heart with fear for who you are, that you would grip their hearts with the revelation of who you are. But I pray for a different outcome, my Lord, that they would not walk away without putting their faith in you, without repenting of their sin, without turning unto you with all of their heart and all of their lives, God. Father, may you be glorified in us. And may our lives, may all of our lives, be rooted in the truth of the gospel. Pray this all in Jesus' good name. And someone said, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.